Welcome to the Future of Risk podcast from Zurich, North America. I'm Renee Koa. The 2022 Global Risks Report listed mental health deterioration among the top five risks that have worsened since the start of the COVID-19 crisis. This could have serious repercussions for businesses. Joining us today are Kristen Bajorit, Director of Wellbeing at Zurich, and Mandy Conforti, Senior Director of Employer Strategy at Spring Health, an organization that provides mental health services for companies in the U.S. and around the world. Kristen and Mandy, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Renee. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks, Renee. Really excited to talk about everything related to mental health. Great. And Kristen, I want to start with you. You recently led a presentation I attended where you noted that one in five Americans, that's nearly 50 million people, will experience some kind of mental health condition. That's a lot of people. Could you define what is meant by a mental health condition? Yeah, Renee, I'm happy to, and I'll give the definition as I know it, um, but I'm actually going to hand this over to Mandy afterwards, because in addition to being the senior director at Spring, she's also a licensed clinical social worker. So the definition as I know it is that it's, it's a condition that affects our thinking, behavior, or mood to the point where it impacts our daily living. So Mandy, I'll let you expand on that in the professional capacity. Absolutely. Mental health means different things for different people. For me personally, I think we can look at more subclinical concerns. So if you think about stress, sleep, burnout, these are all things that are a little bit easier to talk about in probably more of an indirect way and can impact mental health. I think what we have to understand though is that when these areas like sleep and stress start to affect someone's life on a daily basis, then we get into more of a clinical concern. You know, certainly we all know about depression and anxiety. You can't watch the news or hear something related to mental health. And there's even varying degrees within depression and anxiety. So regardless of someone's presentation, it's how it's affecting their daily lives. And that's what we actually want to address. You know, certainly over the last two years, we have not gotten a break between COVID, between racial and civil unrest here in the United States. And from a mental health perspective, we actually had an epidemic prior to our pandemic. And if anything, we have seen the pandemic that has increased people's needs and actually willingness for mental health services. You know, I was going to ask you about that, both of you. But Mandy, is this willingness to talk about it in the first place? Do you credit that because the situation has been worsening or if it's because society and by extension, I mean, workplaces, too, are simply more comfortable discussing it? Renee, I actually think it's both. And, you know, certainly we know that there were mental health concerns prior to COVID. But then when you add in everything that has gone on over the last two years, we just haven't had a break. Um, we haven't had a break from the stress that people are feeling not only here in the United States, but across the globe. I know in my household, um, we talk about Russia and Ukraine every single day. So even downwards into my children hearing about it, wanting to understand, you know, feeling that stress. Um, prior to my career at Spring Health, I actually was a benefits consultant for EAP and behavioral health. 
And there were many employers focused on how to improve their employees' mental health and their families' mental health. But now, you know, before it was a, a good thing to do, and now it's more than just checking the box. Employers want to break down those barriers, and many are doing an amazing job at equating mental health in the same light as their physical health. For mental health, it's really a, a human condition. It affects people of all races, all genders, all ages. No one is immune from a mental health standpoint. And I think this piece is what's really truly impacting from the employer side today and how many employers specifically have taken this as a focus for their initiatives in 2022. That's really insightful, Mandy. And I did want to uh, ask Kristen a follow-up question, but first, EAP is for Employee Assistance Programs, right? Yes, it is. Great. Okay. Um, now, Kristen, can you weigh in on why a company's mental health offerings need to be in line with the physical health benefits they offer? Yeah, absolutely, Renee. You know, um, we've historically put mental health and physical health into two different buckets when in fact, I mean, mental health is health, right? So I think we've done a really good job as companies and even in society is focusing on preventive measures for physical health. So we talk about getting our physical, um, we even, we have guidelines for when we should get our, or what preventive measures we should take at what age. But I think when we talk about preventive measures for our mental health, it's just not something that we've done. And what that does is that just perpetuates the stigma around caring for our mental health. You know, Mandy mentioned those subclinical concerns um, like sleep and stress, and these are things that if left unaddressed can lead to bigger issues. So really not dissimilar to how we address things like high cholesterol, high blood pressure, prediabetes, all physical conditions that if left untreated can lead to bigger issues. You know, we talked about at the very beginning, we talked about the definition of a mental health condition. And one of the pieces of that definition is that it impacts our daily living or interactions with people. Right. So, I mean, if we're living with a mental health condition, we're not able to turn that off when we go to work, which means that it impacts our productivity at work. It impacts our interactions with our colleagues and our customers. So it all becomes a business imperative that we are addressing this um, from a mental health perspective is equally as we do from a physical health perspective. I, I think the ultimate goal here that that we're really starting to push toward is that we can just as easily talk about preventive measures and care for our mental health as we do for our physical health, right? And that people feel just as comfortable seeing a therapist or psychiatrist as they would their primary care physician. And Kristen, I wanna to touch on one thing <clears throat> that you mentioned that I think is so important. Um, when we look at both mental health and physical health, it's always been really interesting to me that we know, research has shown that 30% of people that have a chronic medical condition, so think cancer, heart attack, um, you know, again, more chronic medical conditions, there's 30% of those people have a comorbidity with mental health, many times around anxiety and depression. And Honestly, the physical health side has done a great job at asking those questions around depression and anxiety. If you think about maybe the last time you went into your primary care doc's office, you know, they're always asking one or two questions about how you're feeling or do you feel hopeless. Um, that's actually related to making sure that they're assessing across the board for depression and anxiety. So 
one thing that I think is important, though, is that we need to go further than just asking those questions. Once something has been identified that there is a concern, we actually need to help that person navigate to the right resources. Most people's mental health journeys are not linear. They're lonely. It's difficult to figure out where do I need to go? Who do I need to see? Why do I need to do this? And it's really important for employers specifically to make sure that the right services are in place versus just offering a benefit. So it's truly understanding what your EAP does or what your mental health benefit does and who's there to actually help guide your members. You know, Renee, and to Mandy's point on the comorbidities and the physical and mental health being so closely tied, in 2021, we introduced a digital musculoskeletal program for our employees. And one of the things that the vendor we ended up choosing highlighted was the reported decrease in anxiety and depression once people start getting treatment for their MSK issues. You know, it makes sense, right, to Mandy's point about people who are in chronic pain, it makes sense that it would also affect their mental health. Um, we just actually had our first annual review with the vendor, and one of the data pieces that was reported out was a percentage of participants screening for anxiety decreased from 12% to 2%, and those who were screening for depression went from 10% to 4%. And I just I think that's really significant, and it really does show the tie between the mental and the physical, and it works both ways. About those data points, these reflect aggregate data, correct? Absolutely. We never see anything on an individual basis. We only get aggregate data that is reported back to us. Kristen, I think the other piece to that puzzle, when you think about someone who's struggling with a mental health condition, it's probably not just the person. If if we use your MSK program, for example, you know, someone who's struggling with chronic pain, it's not just affecting that individual person. It's actually the entire family that's affected. And it's really critical, especially from a mental health standpoint, that we make sure that the family has access to help along the way. For example, I have a 13-year-old son, and if he was struggling with anxiety, this wouldn't just affect my son. It would become a family issue. It would affect my daughter. It would affect how we interact as a family, how we manage and deal with things. So by helping me as the employee with resources for my son and resources for my entire family, I am actually able to be more productive at work because I know the right resources are in place for my family. So one thing that we have done at Spring is to make families our significant focus for this year, not just because of the pandemic, but making sure that families get the support that's needed along this mental health journey. Now, there are different levels of mental health issues when it comes to the workplace, but I think the ones most of us are familiar with, because we read about them all the time, are stress and burnout. Mandy, are they different things? Renee, that is a great question. And I would say one that I am tackling almost every day. I just finished a presentation yesterday specifically about stress and burnout. There's a whole book that's written on specific diagnosis. But I feel what's really more important is that we're talking about this. We're talking about mental health. You know, some employers like to directly use the words mental health or substance use. Others want to talk about mental health in a more indirect way, you know, by using stress, sleep, or burnout, as we've mentioned. Stress and burnout actually can affect a person without it being a mental health condition. 
there's a spectrum when we talk about mental health, but certainly stress, when we think about it, there's a physical, there's a mental and or an emotional factor that can cause bodily or mental tension. Burnout, though, is more of an extended period of stress that feels like it cannot be improved and it will not ever end. So if the stress feels never ending and comes with feelings of emptiness, apathy, and or hopelessness, it might be indicative of burnout. And yeah, I actually saw that the World Health Organization came out with an actual definition of burnout. Um, they really tie it to the work aspect. I think they call it an occupational phenomenon. Are you able to, to talk through that a little bit and what you're seeing with that with companies? Absolutely. You know, I think if we talk about burnout specifically and you know i don't at all disagree that this is you know related to the workplace and you know for many people they're like oh i'm gonna take a vacation or a day off that really is only kind of placing it underneath the rug i think it's really important to talk about how do people manage their stress how do they manage burnout if we're not dealing with stress in other ways, it certainly can lead to things like substance use, anxiety, or depression. I think one thing to understand is that stress is not always a bad thing. And, you know, certainly for some people, it can be quite a motivator in terms of getting things done. It was very interesting um, during my time as a clinician and to work with people and to help people who were struggling with a variety of issues and, and how they coped. You know, certainly many people have some healthy and, you know, maybe some unhealthy ways of managing. Um, during the early part of 2020, when the lockdowns actually started, I live in the state of Illinois and watching the news, there was an increase of alcohol sales up to 70%. So for some, I have to assume maybe that increase in alcohol was how they were learning to cope with these lockdowns. And for some people, having a drink occasionally is okay. But for others who maybe started to see an increase in their alcohol use and not being able to manage it and thinking maybe that's not the best way in terms of how I should be managing my stress. We all know that sometimes a scoop of ice cream can be soothing, but maybe not the whole gallon. Mandy, that is a terrific analogy. Um, and now I'm going back to Kristen's presentation that I mentioned earlier. And Kristen it was noted that anxiety was the most common form of mental health challenges, but there were significant numbers for depression, PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, suicidal thoughts, and bipolar disorder. Can you talk about that? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Um, you know, we did in the presentation, we touched on the top six mental health challenges, which by prevalence are in the order that you mentioned, right? So anxiety, depression, PTSD, suicidal thoughts, and bipolar disorder. And they range from almost 32% of the population with anxiety to on the low end, 2.5% with bipolar disorder. We highlighted this in the presentation for a couple of reasons. One was to demonstrate the number of people who are impacted because you know we may hear 2.5% and that sounds like a really low percentage, but what that equates to is 3.5 million people, which is, is a lot of people. So shedding light on the fact that if we're living with a mental health condition, we're not alone. Because to Mandy's point earlier about how isolating and lonely it can feel if you're going through a mental health challenge. So bringing attention to that. And additionally, as an employer, 
know, these numbers represent our employees, our employees' family members. So helping to reduce that stigma so people feel comfortable, we know that we have the right care for people and that they feel comfortable getting the care and treatment. It's just all reasons why we thought that was such an important point to make in the presentation. Well, you know, speaking to the impact on businesses, I wondered, uh, Kristen, if mental health issues had any influence on the Great Resignation. A record number of Americans left their jobs last year, and that trend is continuing. Yeah, there was actually a Harvard Business Review article from last October that looked at the 2021 Mental Health at Work report and found that a number of people are actually leaving their jobs for mental health reasons, and it's on the rise. So um, it reported out that 68% of millennials compared to 50% in 2019 and 81% of Generation Z compared to 75% in 2019. And then overall, 50% of respondents um, compared to 34% in 2019 left the roles for mental health reasons. So it definitely has an impact. And I think, you know, it's becoming more and more an expectation of employees that employers are focusing on emotional health or mental health. Now, WTW, um, which is formerly Willis Towers Watson, they actually have, they do a global benefits attitude survey. And in their most recent survey, they um, actually had 9,600 U.S. employees participate in the survey. And 27% said they wanted their employer to focus on managing emotional health. And a piece that I think is really interesting is that when you slice the data, it was the number one priority for Gen Z employees and it was in the top three for both females and employees with disabilities. So from a business perspective, it's not just um, that people are leaving, but it's what people are looking for as well. Wow, that really is impactful. And Kristen, are, are you seeing any influence on mental health issues as more and more employees are returning to their offices, either full-time or even with the hybrid blend of remote and in-office? Yeah, you know, I'll let, you know, Mandy speak to what she's seeing from her clients, but I think addressing the emotional well-being or mental health aspect as we re-engage into our offices is really important. Um, you know, the presentation that you mentioned earlier that I gave was called Managing Stress and Safeguarding Your Mental Health. And it was something that we actually did because we had enough requests from business units and employee resource groups to do one-off presentations prior to going into the office that we thought it would be best to offer something company-wide. Um, and within that presentation, we had almost 2,200 employees participate in the webinar, and that's over 20% of our population. I think that number alone speaks volumes on how people are feeling with return to office. Um, you know, it's change on top of a lot of change that's already happened in the last two years. And we really don't know what our employees have gone through, what their current concerns are, so I do think it's an important step for employers to talk about emotional well-being or mental health, provide the resources, make sure they're front and center, and just show empathy and grace during what, you know, what is yet another change for our employees and their families. Kristen, I think you're so spot on in, in terms of, of this piece most recently. You know, as we start to see many of our employers go back to the office, you know, we've certainly had employers that have maintained maybe on the manufacturing side or healthcare or essential workers or that type of thing. But, you know, we've had a really interesting perspective from a number of employers. One who said, you know, our employees are so anxious about coming back to work. You know, they've had this 
more flexible schedule at home. They can work earlier in the morning or later at night, you know, kind of on their own schedule. And, and people are feeling anxious about having to come in. You then think about, you know, people maybe that have changed their appearance. Maybe they've let their hair grow out. Maybe they've gained or lost some weight. So people are feeling uncomfortable. You know, how will I act? How will I not act? What happens if I want to wear my mask? What happens if I don't? You know, there's all these questions that I think people are having. And, you know, for the one piece that we help with in a variety of different ways is just being able to support those employees as they're thinking about it. Maybe it's not necessarily with therapy, maybe it's with coaching or, you know, helping them kind of role play. Okay, what will I do? What should I say? Maybe I don't need to say or do anything. But I do think the fact that employers want help in terms of getting their employees back and allowing people some time and some space to help figure that out has been really interesting over the last several months. And Mandy, what about beyond the workplace uh, when events happen in the community where the employee works and or lives? Can those impact mental health? And if so, do you have some examples? Certainly, Renee. You know, if I think about the unrest in our country last summer, you know, I live in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, and even in my community, um, people were boarding up their windows and, you know, kind of putting things outside to block. And that was really impactful for people in my community to see that and certainly caused people a, a lot of stress and anxiety about what's going to happen in my community. I think even if we see something that's man-made or if we see something natural, certainly tornadoes, hurricanes, shootings, death, any of those things are certainly impactful to people in that given community. And I think, you know, there's a number of things to think about in terms of how to help with that. And employers have done a phenomenal job, you know, especially when it's more of a critical nature. Um, you know, if you think about a death or some type of a disaster, you know, certainly to come in and help people talk and process and think about it right after the event is really important. But it's not just at that time. You really have to think about people's mental health on a longer term basis. So making sure that people know what resources are available, that there are resources. And again, it doesn't necessarily mean that that person or those people impacted have to get into some type of a mental health service. Maybe it's something of just, I need to practice my breathing a little bit more. I need to figure out how to wind down better at night so that I can sleep better because we all know that sleep affects every part of us. So I think there's a number of things to think about. It's not just in the workplace. It's certainly something that affects our daily lives. So what are some things an employer can do, especially if they're new to this, or perhaps they don't feel they're large enough to have a big impact. That's not the case, I know. So can you offer some practical tips? Yeah, so May is actually Mental Health Awareness Month. So for employers thinking about this, it's a really great way to dip your toe into just raising awareness on mental health. Kristen, that's a great point. You know, we see a lot of employers who start to address mental health just by dipping their toe in the water like that. They offer some seminars in May, they put in a few mindfulness sessions, or maybe it's just a broader educational campaign. 
I think that's amazing. But I also think what needs to happen, in my opinion, is to keep that dialogue going throughout the year. So maybe that broad communication strategy that an employer has that might tie into other wellness benefits also includes mental health on that ongoing basis how to help manage, how to help cope. You know, there's so many ways to think about getting started, um, but keeping that message strong throughout the rest of the year is so important. You know, it was always interesting to me years ago, and you know, I think when my parents were growing up, you know, you couldn't talk about cancer. And now in October, we have the NFL that's talking, you know, and wearing pink specifically around breast cancer. And I guess my own personal hope is that we could do something like that from a mental health standpoint. So making sure that, you know, employers aren't the only ones that are carrying this message, but we are starting to see, I think, some celebrities talking, um, but being able to provide that support across the board I think is my secret hope, Kristen, to be perfectly honest. And Kristen, can you talk about some of the specific things Zurich has done that could be initiated by any size company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one thing that I would recommend just to start with is to look at your mental health benefits and also making sure that they are communicated front and center as a benefit. So if you already have an employee assistance program, right, what's the utilization? How easy is it for families and employees to access the care? One of the things we did last year was make a change to our EAP provider for this year. So we looked at it last year and made the change this year. Um, and we moved to one that's easier and quicker for to access providers. So, you know, even prior to the pandemic, it could take weeks or months for someone to get an appointment with a therapist. Um, and so now with the health crisis, as we know it, we know it's even harder. So we found an EAP provider that can guarantee that someone could see a therapist within days and not weeks or longer, right? Because when somebody is ready to see someone, they want to see someone right away. We also increased the number of free sessions from six to eight because we know that cost is also a barrier to care. So making sure that they have those additional sessions if they need to see someone for a longer period of time. You know, a very easy thing that you can do once you have those mental health resources, I said, having them front and center is, you know, making sure that we're communicating them and using lots of different modalities for that communication. So we've integrated our well-being resources into webinars, employee newsletters on our intranet site. We've really tried to hit a lot of different areas so that we can get different people at different times. Um, we've done some manager training, which companies can do. Um, you know, do managers know how to spot the symptoms of a mental health challenge? Do they know the resources that are offered to someone if they actually have a challenge? You know, we talked about the return to office and hybrid work. Um, as we return to the office or if companies are starting to return to the office, this is a really good time for companies to look at how employees work and the culture, right? So I think we've all seen the reports that show that globally employees worked longer during the pandemic. We had more meetings. Um, so as we start this new norm of hybrid work, we can use this to take the time to promote well-being as this new way of working with hybrid work. Um, and one of the things that we did was we actually partnered with our workplace solutions team, and we had a webinar on how to use Viva Insights to manage productivity and well-being. 
So Viva Insights, if people don't know what it is, it's a tool in Microsoft where you can actually set it up to block your focus time on your calendar. It can give you tips like, um, do you want to block out lunch every day? Are you taking lunch? You can set your meetings to end five or 10 minutes early. Um, and if companies have access to this, it's an easy way to show employees how to make some of those practices a default to really help with that stress and managing your workday. One of the other things that, that we did is that we've had really great success with mental health first aid champions. Um, we paid to have volunteer employees go through a certification. So much like you would with a first aid certification on mental health, you learn how to spot someone who's having a mental health challenge, how to listen with empathy, and then what resources to direct that person to. So we've actually certified over 100 employees and we have 100 more registered this year to go through the certification. Um, and then just going back to communication, right? We highlighted them as mental health resources. Their names and phone numbers are out on our intranet site. And for people who are returning to the office, um, the mental health for state champions actually have a special lanyard that identifies them as a mental health for state champion. Really wonderful, Kristen. I love all of those tips. And actually this whole conversation has just been so insightful and very important. So thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for asking, Renee. It was really an honor to talk through this. Absolutely. Thank you for including me in on the discussion. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at zurichna.com and join us next week.